Cobra, and we welcome you to another episode of Disney at Play. We are glad to have you with us today. If you've been following with us recently, you know that we've been going through kind of a series where we've had um, a Disney at Play podcast focusing on what we love. The series, we went internationally. Last week, we went to Disney California Adventure. The next one is Disneyland. And probably for many of our listeners, you're expecting that one. It will come uh, toward the end of the week. Um, yesterday, we had a Disney at Work one that aligned to that on the Jungle Cruise and uh, leadership lessons from the Jungle Cruise. If you haven't checked that one out, please do so. Um, but in the meanwhile, with all this stuff going on, there are new developments happening. Uh, particularly with Shanghai Disney opening and then all those implications as it moves forward, especially with the announcement that Disney Springs uh, will open on the 20th of this month. So we thought we would talk about, okay, what are the challenges? What do we learn from Shanghai Disney? What does that mean for attraction closings? What is the status of all the parks internationally and, and domestically? So we're going to look at all that and to do that we have my friend and colleague and uh, crazy guy, David Sanilla. How are you today, David? I don't even know what day it is. They're just all starting to run together. It's one of those days. That's it. That's all it is. David, which, who works for um, Purple and Yellow Western Illinois University, wears only purple and yellow shirts. And if he changed out his shirts, he might remember which day it's which. <laughs> I mean, I still, I still clean them, but when we do laundry in the evening, then it works, it works perfectly. Who's yeah, going to see me? What does it matter? Nobody's looking. <laughs> I, no, n- nobody has to deal with seeing me. It's totally fine. Who cares? David, I want to start off with a great little article you sent me um, that uh, we will include the link on in our show notes page. Please, uh, please make sure you take a look at our show notes page. The article, uh, The Risks, Know Them, Avoid Them, um, really has some really great uh, messages in it. And I thought we'd just take a couple of minutes because the messages have implications to, um, to I think, how, where you want to be and, and how crazy could a theme park be in terms of how the virus might spread or, or what, you know, what attractions might most increase that spread of the disease or not. And so um, uh, to that to that extent, um, there are a couple of key things that I saw come out of that, which was um, tight, intimate spaces are a huge issue. Tight, intimate gatherings are an issue. So they were telling you, you, know, that you want some of the worst places you wanna be are at birthday parties and funerals and family gatherings, where they show a lot of data of events like that uh, meeting up and and having that kind of problem. Moving toward in that same direction, you get into an intimate restaurant and uh, where everybody's sharing the same air conditioning and so forth, you got same kind of challenges going on in that, uh, in those locations. Also, um, public bathrooms can be a big threat as there is a digestive uh, version of COVID-19 as well. So keeping those spaces clean is, is also a big issue. But what they do share as not being the issue um, 
large indoor spaces. So you go into a big market, a, a Walmart type store, and they're saying, you know, that space is so big, so huge. And with all the ventilation, you're not likely to have a problem. You're outside, anything outside, you're not as much going to have a problem, especially if a guy's running next, you know, running um, uh, next to you or whatever, or running, you know, past you. Um, you just don't have enough time to share those kinds of germs. They even said, and this one surprised me, the cruise lines are not nearly as much a problem as they uh, have been made out to be, I think, because people were held hostage in some of those Princess Cruise Line and other um, situations early on that, that they got a lot of negative press. Uh, were there other key messages you got out of that article, David? No, I think the thing in, is, is what it really, the interesting takeaway that I had from it was the concept of the real thing that needs to be the worry. And again, the worry, everybody can, can decide how much worry they want to have. But the, the variables that I think need to become important as we think about theme parks going back to normal life, so to speak, are what they call the viral load, which, and again, the article does a really good job of explaining it. And basically what it suggests is the longer you're near someone in a place without very good ventilation, the higher likelihood you have if, if, of, of contracting COVID-19 if you're near somebody that has it. So for example, what they basically suggest is going to a grocery store probably a pretty low risk, not that there's no risk, but you're not going to be standing next to the same person at a grocery store for a long amount of time. Contrast that with a restaurant. And what if you were in a restaurant for an hour and a half and you happen to be uh, in a restaurant that's not extremely well ventilated. And so there's a person that's infected, but might not know it, right? Because they're asymptomatic. Right. And you're sitting in that restaurant for an hour and 50 minutes and every time that person breathes or maybe coughs a little bit or talks, they release what's called a viral load. And so do yeah. that math of every time they release a viral load. And so when I originally sent it to you, I said, I think this has some interesting implications because think about then transferring those variables of how long you are with somebody that could potentially be infected in a very closed proximity setting and those situations pop up all over theme parks. I mean, theme parks are built based on things like that. Not all of those, but if you were to do a percentage, start thinking about most of the things you would do in a theme park. And most of them are going to be your, your ride might not be right next to somebody you don't know, but you could be in line next to somebody you don't know or in a theater next to somebody you don't know for a long time. And so all of that really shed some interesting light on what I think the people in operations at theme parks, and we're talking specifically Disney because that's what, what, we, what we know. Mm -hmm. um, and I, that has to be creating some headaches is how do you figure out how to reduce the likelihood of, some, of that viral load being very high um, yet still enjoy people to, or still allow people to enjoy the theme parks. I think it's a fascinating question that I don't know that anybody really knows how to answer yet, but what we do know is that Shanghai, at least in the last two days, is trying. 
Yeah, that brings us perfectly, thank you, David, to um, what is happening at Shanghai Disney. And it reads like Podcast 78 that you and I did, which we, um, which we recorded earlier, the reopening of Disney, what were the implications? And I have to say, when we recorded it, David, I felt like some of it was a little, sounding a little draconian. But honestly, they, the playbook was kind of recorded several weeks ago when we did that podcast. Um, not everything, but most everything has been included. Uh, online hotel, first of all, just the hotels being reopened, but online hotel check-in being encouraged. Uh, reducing occupancy at the parks, starting at 30%, and I think Bob Chapek talked about wanting to move it about 5% more every week. Um, now, if their uh, Shanghai Disney's total occupancy is around 80,000. So when you get 30,000, that's about 24,000. From the videos you see uh, that have been made on the first day, you didn't get a sense of 24,000, but Shanghai Disney, the one thing going for Shanghai Disney is that it's so huge that 24,000 can spread itself out uh, quite thin, or at least you know, once you put them into queues, even spread out queues, it still can look pretty thin. And right. we and I, we were talking about how even on busy summer days, you could go back um, to some corners, some places in the park and find very few people there. So, so reduce occupancy. Um, and just break in if you have any thoughts on any of these, David. Um, reservation requirements for uh, day of attendance. And uh, Tokyo Disney Explorer actually said, and I haven't seen this officially on the site, but they've said that annual pass holders can only have one reservation per week. Uh, have you seen that? Uh, that is where I read that. And for a little bit of plug for our friend over at TDR Explorer, if you really want to get yeah, up to Chris. date photos and, and, and videos, go to TDR Explorer. TDR stands for Tokyo Disney Resort. Uh, but he has actually somebody uh, that basically sent a bunch of pictures and videos because obviously international travelers are not allowed uh, in Shanghai right now without 14 days of quarantine and, and all that kind of stuff. Um, but uh, that's going to be the, in, Jeff can even link to a big post that was done the night after Shanghai Disneyland opened with videos, uh, descriptions of all these different, I mean, it's a, it's an extremely in-depth post just hours after the park closed to see some of these things but that's where I read that and uh, if that's something that, that he says on that site I believe that it's coming from from uh, valid information yeah uh, Chris is pretty pretty dependable that said that's that has huge implications um, to the stateside parks whether we're talking Disneyland or even Walt Disney World because uh, there are a lot of annual pass holders who are ready to go back to the parks and would be disappointed if they only had one reservation. In fact, I think that's actually in the downside. I think that works in Shanghai because somebody who comes as an annual pass holder comes probably for the day. But at Disneyland and Walt Disney World, people are coming usually for just a couple of hours. Um, if you say you only get one a week, then they're going to dedicate the whole day. And it would be better to just let them come when they come because you probably are only gonna get a couple of hours, a couple of times during the week, as opposed to then 12 or 14 hours in one day. Yeah. And you probably would reduce your load a little better. 
So I just want to put that out there. We'll see where it goes with the uh, domestic parks, but but that is certainly now one of the things we thought I thought was draconian. Going back to our uh, podcast of VA was we talked about having a doctor's note or some kind of proof. Well, there in China, they're using um, uh, QV code um, to to access. So you've got to be online with their government healthcare systems and have evidence that you're healthy. I don't know how that's going to play out here in the parks. Um, we tend to like our freedom a little bit more here, and I think people would be pushing back on that kind of system. So well, and not, not just to mention the pushing back on it, but I think the other difficulty with that becomes, right, you are, there, there, is, there has been a lot of evidence that suggests that you could be, you could show up negative on a test. I mean, assuming that what they're doing is doing yeah. a test, a, a rapid response test, and then giving you a, you know, a, a, a green tag that says you're, you're good and you're not infected. But there is evidence out there to suggest that you could come back negative on a test and still actually be carrying it and not actually show up positive until a few days later. So you kind of have that waiting period of, what if I get my test on Sunday with the hopes of going to the theme parks on Tuesday and Monday night, you know, I start showing I'm symptoms infected, or, yeah. or, or Tuesday evening, right? After I go to the park, I start showing symptoms. That's the one variable here that I really don't think enough is being discussed for what has to be just, I'm not going to use the word panicking, but what has to be a central point of discussion for all of these folks in theme park operations is asymptomatic carriers, asymptomatic spreaders. And you can say, stay home if you feel sick. That's great. But what if you have no symptoms whatsoever, but you then end up getting tested? There are stories all over the place, right? Of people who have gotten tested because due to contract tracing, they've discovered that they were exposed. They have no symptoms, but they're getting tested because they were near somebody that was, and they're found out to have it, but don't show a symptom at all. And if you have it, you can pass it. And so that's got to be, that's what would keep me up at night as a theme park operation person making decisions is how, how do we deal with that? Temperature checks so fine. doesn't that go back, doesn't it go back to the article, David, where you're saying, where you said, you know, you got to reduce the amount of viral load you might get from someone who is infected, mm -hmm. symptomatic or asymptomatic. So the trick is, how do you reduce that viral load? You don't allow anybody to be in a space with another person for a prolonged period. And you continually clean up, let's say, let's say we're cleaning off um, the teacups between loads of people, okay? That's one way of keeping people from getting it. Right. But are we cleaning off the park bench? Yeah. And I think the answer to that is, is it's probably, it's not ignoring the park bench and cleaning the teacup every time. It's probably, it's probably a combination of every once or twice, every, every 15 minutes cleaning the teacup and every 15 minutes cleaning the park bench so that you've reduced the number of people who might sit down after that infected individual and get it. And then you add on to it, okay, every 15 minutes, you're cleaning yourself off with hand sanitizers. You're avoiding, you're using a mask. You're using, yeah. um, you're going in and washing your hands. You're going in 
and you're not, or you're making sure you don't, you know, touch your face, those kinds of things. I think those kinds of things combined then, then pretty well gives you a good, um, a good chance of, right. uh, of not. Anyway, those are all issues. And again, that's the difference between the government in China and here in the US, but, but know that that is something that they're requiring. Temperature check, we talked a lot about that. That's not a surprise, I don't think. No. Mass for cast members and for guests. Now, Bob Chapek has talked about this. You know, our guests, he's basically saying guests may have to, you know, in the hot, humid weather um, of summer here, can they keep a mask on, you know, most of the time? Um, that's, that's a trick. And then, of course, we've all, most regulations, at least in our state, have said, okay, you can, you need to have a mask, but we recognize some people have got issues maybe with asthma or maybe you've got a small child. So do you give them the freedom? And then, you know, does somebody go ballistic because they ran into somebody who doesn't have a mask in? And it, it, there's all sorts of social dynamics, not to mention the physical impact health-wise. But that's, I think if we can at least get 98, 99% of the people wearing a mask, We've reduced. In fact, I thought I saw Joe Rohde, maybe I'll put it in the show notes, Joe Rohde had tweeted out a thing where he had read, if somebody infected wears a mask, you have a 46% chance of not getting it. If, if somebody not, in, if you aren't infected and you're wearing a mask, you have a 66% chance of not getting it, something like that. But if both people are wearing a mask, you have like a 98% chance. So let's all try to all wear a mask is kind of at the heart of, of that. Yeah. Um, offering hand sanitizers throughout. Um, and I would say anybody going into the park ought to be having their own hand sanitizer on hand um, when they're going through the parks. Uh, yeah. And as well as their masks. Um, uh, spacing and switchback queues. So putting in space between each party in the queue. And then alternating no standing lot, standing zones in switchback queues. So if this queue has a space here, the the stand the the um, switchback queue next to it, the lane next to it, it's blocked off in the space between between, so that you're not just standing you're standing apart from people in line, but you're also standing apart from people in the next row over, so to speak. Right. Uh, reducing occupancy on attractions, uh, separating guests by leaving rows empty, say on It's a Small World on Pirates, spacing guests at tables with no occupancy signs. So, you know, every other table has got a no occupancy sign, so you're, you've got distance. And then regulating the amount of occupancy in retail locations. Those were the pretty much the big highlights. Anything I missed there, David? No, I don't think so. I think those are the those are the, the, the big points that they made sure got across. So I think beyond those things, one of the interesting things I think we can learn from Shanghai right away are what kinds of attractions they're saying to themselves, all the attractions need to be modified or cleaned on a continual basis to some degree or another, but what are the attractions that, mm, that ain't gonna work. And so Shanghai Disney has closed a number of attractions uh, during this period for a while. Um, the first attraction 
is Frozen a sing-along celebration? So there's two aspects to Frozen. One is that it's a theater, which, you know, could you space people out by every other row or so forth? The difference on this one, if I, if I could be correct, is that it's a sing-along. And one of the things, going back to that article you had posted, David, is that singing is one of the great ways to spread the virus. And they gave the example of a church choir and how everybody had gotten, how many people have been infected as a result of being together in this choir. I think probably your, your frozen sing-along here at the studios and your beauty, new Beauty and the Beast sing-along at Epcot, they ain't, they ain't happening. Um, yeah. Now, well, and it's, it's actually why just this morning, uh, Broadway announced that they are now going to be dark until September 6th. Wow. Um, because if, if singing is, if singing and keeping people in close proximity in a closed space for long periods of time are problematic, well, that's all Broadway is. Somebody standing up there singing at you, you're sitting next to people, and you're sitting there for, in most cases, two and a half to three hours. So if you're talking about viral load being an issue, yeah, that'll do it. Um, so but let's, let's dissect that a little bit, because I think there's another aspect you haven't mentioned there. You take the cast of Hamilton, by the way, on Disney Plus on July, July 3rd, 3rd. Yep. Um, but you take a cast like Hamilton they are in potentially infecting themselves on stage. So forget that there's even an audience. They themselves are increasing their problem. How does that contrast compare to going to AMC movie theater? Yeah. Where you're watching a movie. Is there, could you still separate the amount of space? So I guess what I'm saying is, is going back to the Beauty of the Beast sing-along, I don't know. I don't think that one works because you're singing along, right? Encouraging singing along, but could Impression de France still play there? And you block off every other row and put two chairs between your party and the next. What are the possibilities in that? I think that's the delicate, delicate balance. And, and the other one that they also closed off is I had the storm Captain Jack Stunt Spectacular, which again is like Frozen, people performing on stage. Um, the difference with that is I thought that there were a lot of smoke effects in Captain Jack's at yes. time. Yeah. And I think that can, can carry a viral load. The other thing is, is that before you go into the theater, they have the world's worst queue, where you are watching this show before you go into the theater that takes place on the balcony. And it's my, it's my least favorite thing. I love the show. I hate this internal queue because they're kind of, it's a maze of switchbacks to gather people up. And so you're in a tight proximity to them. Mm -hmm. And I'm, I'm telling you, what surprised me about Shanghai Disney is that culturally people feel very comfortable moving past you and, and taking and going in front of you in a queue. 
And so I, I was surprised Shanghai Disney was first out of the gate, but, but this is one place where that happens a lot. And I just think that's all, that's all messy. But now that brings up the question. So to me, there's a couple of attractions that I think are questionable. Tough to be a bug, which again, uses a lot of smoke effects. Do you really want that? As well as the fact that it's an air conditioned and tighter theater setting. But then you have to ask yourself, okay, what about Indiana Jones? Not because you're outdoors, it's better, but you still got a cast that's got to interact with each other. And what's, what's the infection possibility? What's the danger to them in terms of internal infection? So are all live stage shows where people have got to get one-on-one -on -one or interact, are, are they dead in the water? Yeah, I, I mean, it's gotta be, yeah, it's gotta be tough. I, I mean, figuring out, but you also, that's, that's one of the things that, that ends up, I mean, it's one of the things about Disney that people love is that there are different types of entertainment, right? It's not just the, 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 the rides. It's, there's, there's other things. I mean, there's, you know, live entertainment, there's the movies, there's the things with the, you know, like Philhar magic and stuff with special effects. And so, I mean, yes, you can space people out, but I would think Carousel of Progress would be a lot easier to do spread out than it would with something where there is singing or that kind of stuff happening. But man, that just, whew. So, so that's all to be thought through. Ignite the Dream Nighttime Spectacular, their fireworks show has been canceled. Um, although I think they're doing a little bit of projections in the early evening hours and guests are leaving, but it's not. Yes, correct. It's not anything formalized. Obviously, all fireworks, world of color, phantasmic shows, they're gone. They're gone out of this picture for the time being. Um, and, and for no other reason than the close proximity of all of these kinds of events. So that's Marvel Universe was also canceled, which is a Marvel meet and greet experience at Shanghai Disney. Now, I don't know if you've read this, and this may have been in Chris's article too. They feel very strongly that the Marvel characters, I, I don't think they have a problem so much with the princess characters having a mask, although I've not seen that either. I think they have a real problem with the Marvel characters having a mask, maybe because they're supposed to be um, untouchable in terms of their power and strength or something, and this makes them know. more infallible. I don't know, but but that's gone. Clearly, uh, that means the Marvel meet and greet is over at Disney California Adventure. Um, I, and, and by and large, I think a lot of meet and greet experiences are going to be pretty much gone. For a while. So I take the storybook one in Fantasyland at Magic Kingdom. Not only the interaction is not working, that's a very confined queue. And so do you really want to stick people in that confined queue that doesn't move very quickly? So which also brings if you can't in addition to spacing queue this queue, how quickly does the queue move? Yeah. So a small world queue moves quicker than the Disney princess queue. Yeah. And all, both of them will have spacing, but 
still with people standing there, it's just more possibilities to create a viral load in that location where that infected person might be standing. So something to consider there. Uh, challenge trails at Camp Discovery. For those of you not familiar with it, David and I talked about this on what we love most about Shanghai Disney, which I'll put a link in there too. That's a great podcast. And, but there is this marvelous place where you suit up in, um, uh, in a ropes course type experience. But boy, that takes hands-on with uh, a cast member making sure you're suited up correctly. A mm -hmm. lot of touching. Um, and then you're touching those, those ropes materials, those, those harnesses got to be sterilized or cleaned between using. And then you have, you know, people who are maybe using stanchions or holding on to ropes and things of that nature, mm -hmm. hence the title ropes course, this doesn't seem like a doable deal. So you transfer that. And I think of the Redwood Creek challenge trail with their little simple zip lines and everything, but I just see a lot of that, a good portion of that being closed. Yeah, I think that would be, I think that would be tough. I really do. And a favorite, and this is probably hurting me more than any of them, um, Tom Sawyer's Island. Uh, I just, first of all, it's rather intimate on the raft. So you got to have a lot less people going back and forth, which is a big problem. But you get into things like the caves and touching the, the guns in the fortress. I just think there's, that's not going to be a winner for a while. Yeah, I think that's going to be tricky. Um, once upon a time adventure is a walkthrough experience. So that impl implies to me Sleeping Beauty walkthrough or anything that's an intimate walkthrough indoor experience is not going to be a winner. Um, and then finally, Mickey's Storybook Express, which is Shanghai's parade. Now, what they have done is they've taken units and they just, it's kind of like the rain um, experience at the parks where they just take out a float or two and they put characters on it and they bring them through. Yeah, it's kind of like a big, uh, like a big trolley system so much just to make sure that they can still get something done and the characters can wave. They have something very similar in Hong Kong. Not too planned out so people aren't all lined up waiting for an extended period in a concentrated space. Mm. I, I also don't think move it, shake it, mouse it, dance it. I'd like to think that's the death of this uh, experience, which is very popular, but I just think putting everybody together to, to dance is not, gonna, is not gonna shake it. But so those are the attractions closings. I think those are the implications, but look at that, David. Not one ride attraction has been closed at Shanghai Disney. Yeah. Which implies to me that pretty much, other than I mentioned the rafts, and I would say maybe add the canoes at, at Disneyland. Other than that, all rides are probably going to stay open. Reduce capacity, yes. Cleaning between, hopefully. But, uh, redu but, but still, those rides are gonna largely be, be operating. Yeah, I think the real, I think I think the real telling point will be as you you had mentioned that um, Bob Chapek suggested that they would be increasing capacity slowly every week or so. I think that's what's going to be interesting is right now. And again, go to tdrexplorer.com, look at the videos. It, 
it, it, it, it's just dead. I mean, there's hardly anybody in that theme park, even though they sold out whatever tickets they were selling. And all of it seems to be working well. You got to figure it's very easy to wipe down ride vehicles in between if you have 30% of your, your crowd capacity there. What happens when you end up getting to 60%? How challenging does that become? And so I think it's going to be interesting to follow Shanghai, which is why I don't know that we're going to see Walt Disney World opened up in the, in the very near future, because I think they're going to want to see what happens in three weeks as you're then to 40, 45 percent and even more, uh, because you have Disney World and Orlando has four theme parks to worry about instead of just one. And if we're going to be quite honest, in Shanghai, there's a lot of open space. There's not a lot of stuff in terms of ride or attraction density in Shanghai. And so you don't have a lot of stuff you have to worry about people getting on before they feel like they've filled their day. With those lines like they were in those videos, I think you could easily get through all of the attractions and be out of Shanghai Disneyland within five hours, five or six hours, if you can walk quickly. Um, let, me, but, yeah, let me mention a couple others that, that not implied by Shanghai's experience, I still think are on the chopping block. Uh, the Disney Junior Dance Party. Yeah. yeah. Bunch of children crowded together. I don't see that happening. Yeah. Um, <laughs> no loss. <laughs> I probably there was a lot of things being spread around in yeah. that attraction. <laughs> I'm anyway. sure, yeah. yeah, that <laughs> but, show was probably a super spreader as it was. Turtle Talk with Crush could happen, but this idea of putting all the kids on the mat right in front of Crush yeah. is not going to happen. And you don't have a very big space. So I think that one may be suspended a while. Enchanted Tales with Belle. Yeah I, yeah, I see that as, you know, you're holding these props and things, you're interacting with Belle. I don't see that happening. The tight space, I just don't see that all happening. Here's two that I think may be really impacted or have to be modified extensively. I do not see Mission Space opening during this time. I just think you have got, well, if you do, you're going to have to clean the consoles Yeah. Of, in order to ride that. I don't care about the seats. I care about all that console space and you've been flipping those switches and now you, somebody, you get in and replace. That just seems, you know, well, maybe by if that, you said don't touch the console, but you're such a, it's such an intimate space when you close that thing in. Yeah. I just don't see that. And then the biggie, and I do see a, a, a workaround for this, Millennium Falcon Smugglers Run. I don't think they can operate that with people touching the buttons. Yeah. Now I have done it with, with my son Preston who's autistic and we were the only two in there. And that means only pilots and is there I think there is a mode of operation where the system could be quote unquote ran by Chewy, sure. but by a far or, or somebody and, and you just experience it, which would be a lesser experience, but would still have it. But that, I think that one's a, that one's a, uh, that one has to be really questioned yeah. to make that one work. Well, and I think the big question too, um, kind of as we're as we're getting close to wrapping up is what happens to the studios as a park? Because if you think about it, 
from a perspective of what the studios is mainly comprised of until Star Wars Land opened, you're really talking about a lot of shows, right? Which is why the studios is a real difficult park to strategize for because you're based on a show schedule. And if we're saying shows aren't happening, think of what you lose. You and lose I don't Muppets. think they're going to say that. I don't think well, they're going to say that. I but, think that if they're going to adjust those at all, I'm guessing what's saying is from a park touring perspective, which is where my mind has to go. I think about at the studios, all of the shows, and those are going to be problematic, I guess is what I'm saying. Those are going to be the problematic things to still run. You've got Indiana Jones, Frozen, Little Mermaid, Disney Junior, or, um, you know, uh, uh, Frozen and Fantasmic. Am I, am I getting everything? I, I think that's oh, about yeah, it. Oh, yeah, you're so, missing a couple. You got the new little theater for the Mickey Mouse shorts. Okay. That, okay, yes. that, okay. From a size point of view, I think is an issue. And then you've the got Mermaid the thing has one. the same problem Frozen and Indy has. We have yep. a cast working closely together. Yep. So those three are suspect. I think Muppets is a Muppets is a massive theater. I think that's very doable. And there there's a big sanitation process on those 3D glasses. So I don't worry about those. I think Radiator Spring, uh, what do you call it? Lightning McQueen's Racing Academy. I think that's doable with reduced attendance. So Beauty and the Beast, that, that again is, yeah. is oh, yeah, kind of yeah, tricky that's, that's, if you're going to interact as yeah. a cast. So yeah, you are right. You are right. There are a lot of shows that, that are in question. I guess Let's, what I'm just, I guess my thesis there is that park among all of them, among all the four in Orlando, I think is going to be the, the the hardest nut to crack if we're assuming that viral load issue is of primary concern to those people in operations because you have such an abundance of show-related attractions in that park that you don't have at the Magic Kingdom. I mean, really, right? Yeah. In the Magic Kingdom, you've got Tiki Room, you've got Carousel of Progress, uh, you've got Monsters, Inc., you've got PhilharMagic. No, that- you make... That which is all the reason why Festival of the Lion King is yeah. probably going down. Yeah, uh, it, you, you you can't have tumble monkeys going about and, and well, uh, then I guess that I, I, so space. so maybe that argument actually causes more problems for Animal Kingdom because then you've got the um, the the up bird show, uh, you've got Festival of Lion King, you've got Finding Nemo musical, um, you've got Tough to Be a Bug, and so a lot of those that are shows. Yeah, and so again, that's the that's almost going to be the more we talk through this, that's almost going to be the most interesting thing to watch is how does how do the stateside parks handle show attractions? Unlike, I will say this though, that the nighttime show at Animal Kingdom, unlike World of Color, it has designated seating areas, so you could separate people yes. out. Yeah, yeah, and you and could tons run, of seating, and you could yeah. Well, really, I mean, very few interested in seeing it. So right, right, it's all right. it's all good. Both of you can enjoy the show. You take, I didn't mean I didn't mean that. I just that meant that it is a, I'll take this section. I meant that it is a it is a massive amphitheater. I mean, it's, it, is a, it's, it is a good size amphitheater. Right, you've got to be real hard pressed to have trouble finding seats there because it is just it is expansive, and so I that I think would be very again, very easy. But with these rules in place, I think that's still doable. So it's, right. it's it, and maybe. And and Fantasmic would be the same thing, except we've got characters working closely to with each other. You know, that's yeah. where that becomes tricky. Um, but that show could be re-choreographed to get people a little more separated too. 
Um, yeah, because sure. because two thirds of Fantasmic is not people together closely. So um, let me just talk. Let's finish out by talking about the park status internationally. Uh, Disney Cruise Line. Uh, right now, they're saying all sailings pretty well canceled until late June. Uh, Hong Kong Disneyland. They have not given any opening dates for the park, but apparently they are booking and allowing hotel stays starting next week. And apparently at all three of their hotels. Yes. And I didn't know Shanghai, did the Toy Story Hotel ever reopen? Yeah, Toy Story Hotel, to, to the best of my knowledge, as of this recording, Toy Story Hotel is not yet. It's still open. not open. Uh -huh. Disneyland Paris, that's interesting because some of their, um, some of, uh, they've been given a little bit of additional freedom as of today in Paris and in France. Mm. Uh, there's still stipulations. They are making hotel reservations for after July 1st. They're trying to get open by, or by mid-July, I'm sorry, by mid-July. They're trying to get open by mid-July. I understand other major theme parks in Europe, in other countries, are opening even sooner. Um, so because it's, the virus is affected or governments are making different kinds of decisions, there's a whole lot of uh, issue as to Paris and how soon should it open or not. Disneyland, hotel reservations, as I understand them are being made for after July 1st, but not anytime sooner. Right. Is that your understanding? They haven't, uh, reservations have not been canceled. Like they haven't been canceled. So what they did, because uh, they did the same thing in Orlando. Basically what they did is they said about, a, uh, I don't know the exact date, but I think it was sometime at the end of March. They basically said, we are no longer taking any reservations. The earliest reservations that we will allow you to make now, new, new bookings, are starting June 1st. That does not mean we're not going to be open before June 1st, but that's the earliest you can make a new booking. And then slowly, as the weeks passed, they would cancel more weeks and basically pull the park hours down. And as a travel agent, you know, we would start getting notices that, that they were going to automatically cancel uh, uh, guest reservations. And so then once that got a little further, then all of a sudden we heard just a couple days ago that they were basically saying the earliest you can make a new booking now is July 1st. It doesn't mean we're not going to be open in June. It also doesn't mean we're going to be open in July, but this is just kind of the, the new lawn, that, the new line that we're drying in the sand is July 1st. So you can still make a booking right now for July 1st, um, but they're not going to guarantee that they're going to be open. They're just kind of giving themselves the rest of May and June, I think, to be able to control bookings a little more. Yeah. Um, so uh, one of the funny things is that the White House trade advisor, Peter Navarro, who is from California, tweeted how ticked he is that Shanghai Disney has reopened and Disneyland is not open in California. Um, so it's politics, a lot of politics in the California thing. Here in Florida, let's go to Florida to end it with, um, the governor is very encouraged and frankly, the numbers are moving in a, in a positive, not perfectly perfect direction, but a positive direction in Florida. The governor is very impressed with what efforts um, Disneyland, Walt Disney World has made toward this. Um, and it's kind of given them something of a carte blanche when you 
when you're ready to open, you're ready to open. Now, that doesn't mean they're going to open whenever they want to. There's still a lot of issues around it. Uh, and it's still, they have made it very clear as of the, this morning, there is no set date for reopening the parks. Uh, that has been made very clear this morning. That said, Disney Springs opens on June 20th with limited operating partner involvement. And uh, you cannot make reservations. I said June 20th, I'm sorry, I meant May 20th. Um, next week, uh, Disney Springs opens with limited operating partner involvement. You can't make reservations for May. You can make them at these Disney Spring Resort, uh, Disney Spring restaurants um, after uh, June 1st. Um, and that includes Chef Art Smith's Homecoming, City Works, Enzo's Hideaway. We'll list all these Frontera Conchina, Haleo, Maria and Enzo's, Paddlefish, um, Paradiso 37, Planet Hollywood, Raglan, Rainforest, um, Steak Orlando, Splitsville Dining Room, T Rex, Terralina Craft, the Italian, the Boathouse, um, the Edison. Wine Bar George, Wolfgang Puck Bar and Grill, and then also Raveo um, is opening. Um, it's definitely taking reservations as of June 1st. I don't know that it's opening next week. Do you know where Raveo is, David? This is this is a trick question for my... Not, I don't know that I could describe it. Raveo is actually the a key restaurant at Four Seasons. Okay. So that has implications. As, and, and by the way, I've not seen any sign yet for um, uh, the Swan and Dolphin in all this, although construction is still well underway on their new um, tower. Um, so only reservations for hotels now can be made after July 1st. Dining reservations after June 1st for for Disney Springs and then after July 1st for all, all restaurants. And yet I hold a dining reservation for June 1st at Be Our Guest at the Magic Kingdom. Hmm. And it is, I've not been notified that it's not available. So as apparently everybody who has a reservation, hotel reservation in June, has yet to be notified that they're not gonna be able to attend the parks. So here we are, you know, uh, more than two weeks, but not much more, um, heading toward that. Golf and foot golf operations still happening. So, um, so it's an interesting, it's an interesting thing. I, I think if things go well, that it is entirely possible to see a very small sized opening um, come June 1st for the Disney parks. But how many and which of them, I don't know. It's gonna be interesting to see how it plays out. Yeah, I think we're moving more towards a discussion of not will they be open soon, but in what capacity they're open soon. And I think that's a decision that everybody's gonna kind of have to start to do that calculus is, they might be open, but are they going to be open? And is your desire to go to a theme park 
strong enough that you're okay not getting the normal experience or would you rather just put it off? And that sounds cold to say something like that, but the people that are paying to get into Shanghai Disneyland now are not getting the normal experience. They're in a Disney theme park, they're getting to go on attractions, but there's a lot we've mentioned that isn't open. And I, I would assume that we will see things start very similarly because just because Disney operations can say, here's what's happening in Shanghai, let's do the same. They're gonna to have to get their cast members who by the way, have now been furloughed for, I mean, how long is it? Is it going on a month um, or close to a month? You know, for three weeks, I guess today is they've been furloughed. And so the question then becomes, they've got to get them back up to speed and train them on all of these new processes uh, to be able to, to actually then run them. And so this is not a small undertaking. I know that there's frustration that get this open, get the parks open, get the parks open. That's a lot easier said than done um, because when it happens, everybody's gonna want it to be done right. They're gonna want it to be done well and they're still gonna want that Disney experience. And I'm itching to get back in those parks just as much as everybody else. But I also think it has to be done um, with caution or we end up, uh, it, it's gonna end up being made made worse. I'm not just talking virus wise, I'm talking operation wise. Yeah. yeah. So a lot more to come. We will keep everyone informed. And uh, as this uh, unveils, we'll be at, uh, I'll be at Disney Springs next week when it opens. And um, meanwhile, we keep um, informed with uh, our podcast to include what we love most about the parks. And uh, so a lot to come. So uh, thank you, David. Appreciate you joining us today. Thanks for having me on. We thank you for joining us for this Disney at Play podcast. Uh, we appreciate David Sanola for joining us. And uh, we appreciate your being part of this, this family of people who care and share and think all things Disney. And I was just really glad that you could join us for this uh, this time together. Please remember, if you have a chance to go to iTunes, to give us a favorable rating if possible. Please uh, make sure that you're subscribed. If, if at all possible, come over to Jay Jeff Kober at YouTube, where you can also subscribe to our YouTube channel, where we have lots of new videos coming out all the time. Lots of great stuff, whether it's Disney at Play or Disney at Work, we offer something for you to um, that really benefits your life, so please, be sure to join us. And finally, in the words of Sinbad from Sinbad's uh, storybook journey, always remember, follow the compass of your heart. Have a great day. We'll talk soon. Thanks.